Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Welcome again. As I've already mentioned to you, my name is Craig and I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege and joy to have you with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be using them. If you're curious as to where we're going to be, you can look inside of your bulletin every Sunday when you get here and it'll tell you. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning, let me share just a couple of announcements with you. Um, We do have a Next Steps class coming up in a few weeks, so please pay attention to that. If you're a guest with us um, once or for a long time and you're interested in what it would look like to be a member of Malvern Hill, we'd love to have you in there. Uh, In addition to that, our fall festival is coming up. If you are new to Malvern Hill, um, you probably don't know a whole lot about what our fall festival is. It is one of our larger outreach efforts every single year. We will have somewhere between 1,600 and 2,000 people here on October the 31st for our fall festival, um, which means uh, we need lots of candy. So, um, and, 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 and I say this every year, but I'm going to say it again. Somebody will show up with like two bags from, um, uh, from, from Food Line or whatever, but hey, look, I bought a lot of candy. Thank you for your bags of candy. But if you see somebody walking in with two bags, listen, that's going to serve us for like a minute and a half during the fall festival. So, uh, and I'm not hating on you for your two, bring your two bags, but then look at your neighbor and say, can you bring two bags? And then if we could multiply that out exponentially, that would be phenomenal. Like perhaps the neighbor's neighbor, you say, you could bring four bags. And then maybe the neighbor's neighbor's neighbor could bring, you get the picture. Point is, we need all sorts of candy. Uh, So if you could do that, we will have some receptacles around uh, near the entryways that you can put that in as you come in and out. In addition to that, we need volunteers. Um, Now, the point of our fall festival is do everything we can to communicate the love of Christ with the community that's here around us, okay? We work diligently to share the gospel. We try to funnel people into a into our area, into specific areas where they can uh, encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we just want our volunteers to love them. Uh, we want our neighbors to know that we do this because God loved us, and we're going to love them as best we can because we hope to give them the gospel of Jesus. So um, just be aware of that. Uh, if you would be, and of the needs, if you would like to volunteer back in the back, back that way. Um, so when I say the back, I mean my back, behind me, there is a vol- uh, some areas where you could sign up to participate in our fall festival. If you can't uh, run an inflatable, that's fine. We do a trunk or treat as well. If you can sit uh, in a chair beside the trunk of your car and give out candy, we'd love to have you. So whatever way you can participate, and if you have questions about that, uh, grab one of our, actually just ask somebody around you because if you're new here somebody around here can tell you about our fall festival all right by now hopefully you've made it to second timothy chapter three we're continuing our sermon series called church checkup this morning we're going to talk about scriptural fidelity that means faithfulness uh that's what that that big f word fidelity and what what i what we want to communicate right here is that we are committed to the word of god We've been looking over the past several weeks at the, the, uh, the traits of a healthy church. So we've talked about how um, a healthy church depends upon the prayers of God's people. A healthy church preaches the Word of God. A healthy church uh, disciples intentionally. A healthy church is evangelistic. We talked about that just last week. Um, and, and this morning, a healthy church is committed to the Word of God. 110%. That it is God's Word. So this morning we're going to look at one of the classic passages on that right here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Stand with me in honor of God's word. These are God's words and I want you to hear them. 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that we would receive this as your word and that we would receive all of these words as your word and that as individuals, Lord God, and corporately as a church, that we would be committed to your word above every other word. For you, Lord God, are the final authority. In Christ's name we pray, amen. When I was, about, when I was a teenager, my dad was in a traffic wreck, nothing too serious. Uh, he was on his way to work one morning, and uh, a young man was on his way to school, and that young man ran a stop sign and hit my dad right in the driver's side quarter panel of, of his truck. Uh, throughout, uh, since then, there's been a, a great joke in our family because the, 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 the boy, this high school student, his defense was, the, the, the officer said, son, there was a traffic, there, there's a stop sign there. And his defense, and then the defense of even the insurance company was, well, he slowed down. Well, that's all well and good, but red stop signs say stop, not slow down. Folks, too often we come to God's Word and we twist it and turn it and contort it into what we want it to say instead of what it actually says. Y'all, when God's Word says stop, we better stop. When God's Word says go, we better go. And when God's Word says whoa, we better whoa. We have no other recourse as the people of God. These are God's words. Now, I I want you to hear me say, this book doesn't contain God's words. This book is the Word of God. Now, this doesn't become God's Word. This is the Word of God, period. From Genesis to the end of Revelation, everything inside of these leather covers is God's Word. Word. Now, if you have a study Bible, I'm just going to mention this to you this morning. Those study notes are the words of a man. And if you don't understand the difference here, it's important for you to know. Like, if you have a study Bible, then more than likely what you have is some scripture on the top and then commentary notes on the bottom. Those commentary notes are the words of, of, of men and women, of scholars and, and, and academics who have worked diligently to put in those study notes to help you to understand the Word of God. But the Word of God is pure and true and always right. And healthy churches are built on a commitment to and an adherence to the Word of God. Unhealthy churches often claim to be committed to the Word of God, but do not obey the Word of God. What do I mean by that? We're going to get into a little more detail. But let me just give you some, some catch words you always want to be afraid of. You always want to be wary of. Especially coming from the mouths of believers. Well, I know the Bible says, but. Y'all, there is no but. I know the Bible says, so is the answer. So, this morning we're going to look at what it looks like 
to be committed to the Word of God. And I'm going to ask you, are you submitting to all of God's Word? And I use that word on purpose, submitting. Because it stands in authority over us, and we submit to it. If you were to walk into many ancient churches, we'll use that word loosely, ancient, I like that, but they don't have to be that old. Oftentimes, in those churches, especially um, following the Reformation, they have elevated pulpits. Some of you in Europe have seen these. There's some here in the States, not near as many. Um, I've preached in one of those before, and I almost killed myself because I move a whole lot. Inside of that box, when you get up in that box, there's nowhere to go. And I preached in one, and it, it had walls about like this and inside the walls was like a little desk that ran all the way around that was just hip high and y'all I hit that little thing over and over my hips were bruised the next day it was awful but the reason that after the reformation that we began to see these elevated pulpits was not to elevate the role of the pastor it was to symbolically elevate the role of the Word of God as the authority over God's people under which God's people submit. There's a difference between Protestant churches and Roman Catholic churches, and that is one. And we're going to look at some more of that in just a few minutes. The first thing this morning I want us to see is that all Scripture comes from God. All Scripture When we speak about the authority of Scripture and a church's commitment to Scripture, we must understand that healthy churches endeavor to obey all of God's Word because faithful Christians understand that every single word is from God. All of it. What about the parts I don't like? Still from God. What about the parts I do like? Still from God. What about the parts that are hard to follow? Still from God. What about the parts that are unpopular in our culture? Still from God. Period. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Paul created a word so that we could understand the true supernatural status of Holy Scripture. The word in the Greek is theonoustos. God breathed. The Bible is literally the breath of God formulated into words on a page. That's how special it is. That's how sacred it is. That's how important it is. In healthy churches, the Word of God is elevated above all else. Next week, we're going to talk about biblical leadership. But listen, you can't have biblical leadership unless there's a commitment to the Word of God. The church has to be committed to believing that the Bible is the Word of God, period. If the Bible speaks to it, there is no other authority to which we can or should appeal. I'm going to say that again. If the Bible speaks to it, there is no other authority to which we can or should appeal. Is it possible for Jesus to have been conceived by a virgin and to rise from the dead? The answer is yes. But what about science? Science is not the final authority. The Word of God is the final authority, period. What about on issues of sexuality? Well, what if, the Word of God is the final authority, period. What about the role of the church? The Word of God is the final authority, period. But what about what so-and-so said? It doesn't matter what so-and-so said. The Word of God is the final authority, period. 
Science hasn't surpassed it. Business theory can't beat it. Organizational science won't overcome it. Technology won't top it. Doubters can't dismiss it. Skeptics can't scar it. Kings can't conquer it. And churches must not challenge it. Folks, listen to me. More damage has been done to the authority of God's Word from within the church in the past 200 years than those outside the church could have ever hoped to inflict. Was Nietzsche a problem for the church? Yes, but was Nietzsche anywhere close to the problem that higher criticism was? Absolutely not. Is atheism a problem from outside the church today? Yes, but atheists only grab a foothold because people inside the church don't obey the word of God and act like the people of God outside the church. Now, I've heard it in the church. I've heard people say, I know what the Bible says, but, what are some of the buts? But the church is a business. This has got to be run like one. Folks, the church is the creation of Jesus Christ, and it needs to be orchestrated in the way that God has determined in his word. But this is the 21st century. Okay, you act like Jesus didn't know what he was doing. Like God didn't know the church was going to still be here 2,000 years later. Come on now. But committees. We'll move on. I know what the Bible says, but the committee. The committee. Committee. I don't mind committees, but they don't exist in God's word. I know what the Bible says, but lost people. You act like the Bible is not concerned for lost people. We don't get to throw a keg party in the church to draw lost people in with the, with the, 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 the idea that somehow or other that's going to help get them saved. We've got to follow the Word of God. We've got to trust that it's enough. I know what the Bible says, but money. Do we need to go there, Really? We can serve God or mammon, but not both. Well, I know what the Bible says, but sometimes change. Change what? The Word of God never changes. And the Son of God never changes. And the Father God is the same today and tomorrow and forevermore. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And who He was at the beginning of Genesis is who He'll be at the end of Revelation. Everything that happens in between is under His authority and sway. And these are His words. Period. All Scripture comes from God, and the authority of Scripture stands over God's church and over God's people. If we are going to be a healthy church, we must regularly, willingly, and as best we can joyfully submit to God's Word. And listen, when we find, because we will, when we find that there are things within the church that we are doing that are not in line with God's word, then our responsibility as the church is not to dig our heels in into the traditions that we have created. Our responsibility as the church is to work diligently to be faithful to the word of God. And just because we've done it this way for the last 80 years doesn't mean it was God's way. The Roman Catholic Church is wrong because the Roman Catholic Church elevates the authority of the church above the authority of God's Word. Not everybody understands this, but in the Roman Catholic Church, the church is the ultimate authority. So if the Pope says it, it actually can carry more weight than the Bible. That's the way that their doctrine works. 
In the way that they understand it, they believe that the authority rests in the church. And as a result, the church can determine the church's own rules. The whole purpose, the whole idea behind the Protestant Reformation over 500 years ago is the belief that the church does not stand over God's word, but that God's word stands over everything. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we are responsible to obey God's word, period. When we choose to trust our own wisdom and our own understandings above the word of God, we are in grave error. All scripture comes from God and as a result cannot be, okay, I should say, should not be challenged in the church. So you can run your Rotary Club or the PTO, your business, however you see fit. But the church of Jesus Christ is to be governed by the word of Christ and every word of the Bible is God's word. Period. So, I mean, we, we've run the gamut here through the years. We've had people challenge the idea that there should be elders or pastors or, or shepherds or whatever words you want to use for us as pastors here. The problem is that that idea is not somehow created by man. It is actually embedded in the Word of God. Why do we have pastors in the church? Because God said so. Why do we have deacons within the church? Because God said so. Okay? Why are so many other things malleable in the church? Because God didn't say so. Do you understand that? Period. Why do we hold to the the particular moralities that we hold to? Because God said so. And if he said it then, he's continuing to say it today. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. But that statement can't be used to twist and contort an understanding of Scripture to fit a postmodern understanding and approach to literature. Just because the word of God is living through the power of the Holy Spirit that works through it doesn't mean it is a living document that can be changed and misinterpreted and reinterpreted at the whim and the will of whoever it is that's reading it at the time. We don't give meaning to the Word of God. The Word of God has meaning because it is theonoustos. It is breathed out by God. Period. All Scripture comes from God. And if we are going to be a healthy church, I didn't say a growing church. I didn't say a popular church. I didn't say an impacting church. I said a healthy church, a faithful church committed to the Lord. We will only be so if we are committed to believing and working as best we can to practice in obedience every single one of God's words. You know what else that means? That means the only sacred cow in the church of Jesus Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the holy word of God. Everything else is on the chopping block if it does not fit in line with this. Even if I don't like it. Do you understand? Even if I don't like it. One of the things that we'll be doing this year on the back end of our fall festival is we're going to do some hard, some hard looking at whether or not we're accomplishing the goals that we want to accomplish through our fall festival. Does that mean we're going to cancel the fall festival? It does not, so don't run away and say that. But we're going to wrestle with the questions of whether or not it's accomplishing the purpose that we have for it. We can do that. Why? Because nowhere in God's Word does it say we need to have that. God's Word says we should be missional, that we should go, that we should do all we can to impact the world around us. Absolutely. But does it say we have to do this particular event? It does not. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say we have to do a variety of the things that we do. We do have to gather for worship. 
We do have to engage in discipleship. We do have to pray. We do have to preach the Word of God. we got to do all of those things, but a lot of the other things don't have to happen. we got to be willing for them to be on the chopping block. And look, even more so, what if somebody were to determine, what if somebody comes and says, we're doing a thing in our church that is unbiblical? I don't know what that thing would be, but let's just assume it's something. And it's unbiblical. What do we do in that moment? We either dig our heels in and go, we've always done it this way and go away. Or we say, what does God's word teach? Now understand, we may still disagree on exactly how it is that it comes down. This morning, this morning in life group, for those of you who use our sermon-driven stuff, one of the verses that we wrestled with was out of Ephesians chapter, um, chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. Where, scripture, where, where the Bible says that by grace you've been saved through faith and is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Right? There's disagreement in the larger church and in this church right here over whether or not the faith spoken of in that verse is a gift from God or if the salvation is a gift from God and the faith is not included in that. That's okay. We will disagree about the way that we might interpret some passages of Scripture. But we must not ever disagree about whether or not the Scripture is all applicable to the people of God and especially to the church of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Second thing this morning, all Scripture is profitable. Every word Commandments are profitable, the gospel is profitable, the Sermon on the Mount is profitable, but it doesn't end there. This is where we sometimes find ourselves in trouble, okay? Because we like to elevate the red letters above everything else as though those are the only ones that mattered. And if you don't have a red letter Bible, what I mean are the words of Jesus. So this is one of the favorite things of liberal Christians. The Sermon on the Mount is the only thing that matters. No, it's not. Or the Ten Commandments are the only thing. No, it's not. It all matters. So yes, those things are profitable. You know what else is profitable? Genealogies are profitable. That first chapter of Matthew is wearing you out. But you know what? It's good for you because it helps us to understand where in the world Jesus came from. Jump into the book of Numbers. Look, look here. I'm going to tell you, a lot of you read the book of Numbers every year the way I do. Because it's hard, but I'm going to tell you something. When you want to really dig in and try to figure out where in the world somebody came from and how it fits into the bigger picture of God's plan, the book of Numbers is a treasure trove. Narratives are profitable. Man, the stories, David and Goliath, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Can I remind you, though, just as a side note, you're not David fighting Goliath. That's not the purpose of the story. Don't ever think, oh, well, God sent David to show you can overcome your Goliath. No! David couldn't beat Goliath if he lost your mind. This is like Wyatt going up against some seasoned veteran at nine feet tall. He doesn't stand a chance except for the fact that the Lord, the God of Israel, goes ahead of him. You can't overcome the Goliaths in your life, but the cross of Jesus is enough. The parables are profitable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when we read that parable, it pulls us in and we go, who is my neighbor? And we go, oh man, that guy's my neighbor too. I didn't really want to do that. The Psalms are profitable. We can sing them. We can pray them. We can go down into the depths with them, can't we? How about this? Laments are profitable because we need to remember that life is not all peaches and cream. 
And even the people of God can find themselves in the valley of the shadow of death. Praises are profitable because sometimes I don't have the words, but I can run to God's word and find them. The Old Testament is profitable because it is two-thirds of your Bible. Two-thirds. And so often it is neglected. Two-thirds of your Bible. That means that Jonah's profitable. We're going to be preaching on it in a couple weeks. That means that Ezekiel's profitable. That means Malachi's profitable. Obadiah, profitable. Leviticus, oh, you better believe it's profitable. If you want to be convicted, read that one. Genesis, folks, nearly all 66 books of the Bible are found in the book of Genesis. You can start in Genesis and run to the end and you can see the pictures of God's redemption being laid out for all the world. The New Testament is profitable. All of it. Every word. You need to know who Onesimus is and why it's a big deal. Because it matters to your life. The book of Jude, the smallest one, that little wee little book. Yeah, you want to know how to contend for your faith? It's right here. Third John, it matters. Third Peter, you better read it. And if you believed me on that, you haven't been reading it enough because there is no such thing. Shame on you. I hurried to finish that before somebody amened me. That would have been embarrassing. That would have been bad. I would have kept going. I wouldn't have called you out. But everybody around you would have been judging you. All Scripture is profitable. This is why we should read through the entire Bible. This is why in January every year we make available to you opportunities to read through the whole Bible in a year. And if you don't make it in a year, okay. Maybe you read a little slower than others. That's all right. On an, average, an average reader can make it through the Bible in one year on 10 minutes a day. Okay? The real problem you get into is when you miss two or three days and you need to find 30 or 40 minutes to make up for it. That's, what, that's, that's where we find ourselves. But what if it takes you a year and a half or even two years to make it through? How much profit is there in that? And you know what you find yourself doing? You find yourself discovering that there's profit in all of it. It's amazing to me how much, how much joy and profit I find in the book of Job. The book of Job is one of, if not my absolute favorite book in all the Bible. And it's tough, and yet God speaks in that. He challenges me in that. And He rebukes me in that. And He comforts me in that. And there's profit there. The book of Ruth, there's profit there. There's profit in every word of it. Don't miss that. If we want to work this all out, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Next week in Life Group, you're going to wrestle through what those things mean. What's it look like to be reproved? What's it look like to train in righteousness? We wrestle through this verse of Scripture on a regular basis, okay? And it's important. So all Scripture is profitable. And then finally this morning, all of you needs all of God's Word. Now you've got to pay attention because if you don't, you're not going to have a clue what I'm talking about. All of you is not plural here. Not all of y'all needs all of God's Word. This is every inch of your person needs all of God's Word. You hear what I'm saying? 
You might have to jot a note so that'll make sense later when you come back to it. The English language doesn't give us an easy way to make that work. But I think y'all are smart enough to figure out what I'm trying to say. The Word of God needs to wash over you and in you and to permeate every single inch of you. Last night, Aubrey made chocolate chip cookies. I love chocolate chip cookies. Like, Chips Ahoy cookies, they're fine. But when you get homemade chocolate chip cookies, like you can make all the other ones you want to. But listen, when they come straight out of the oven and there's milk, just I, I want them all. But the good thing about chocolate chip, well, there's, everything's good about chocolate chip cookies. We, we actually make ours with a few less chocolate chips than the recipe calls for. So there's a little more cookie and a little less chocolate. You can judge me all you want. I don't care. You can make your own cookies. I wish that what I had the opportunity to do this morning was to bake chocolate chip cookies on stage. I wanted so bad to do that for y'all this morning. But there's just no way for us to do that and satisfy all you safety conscious people. But had I baked cookies on stage while I was... I'd have looked like Martha Stewart up here. Wouldn't that have been something? Been like one of those cooking shows. I'm just stirring. But you know, what, what would you notice first? Boy, the smell, right? The smell of those cookies. You guys in the choir... Or the choir. What are y'all? The balcony. Well, some churches, the choir sits back there. Um, in the balcony, y'all might would have smelled it first because the heat would have risen. Maybe it would have wafted down through there. But the smell of those cookies, boy, they would have really begun. And, and, and like Tom sitting right here in the front, that smell to hit, uh, immediately your brain is anxious for what might be coming. You know, the salivary glands begin to work. You're like Pavlov's dog. Not you particularly, but all of us. You know? I mean, it's like the bell rang. You're already anticipating the cookie. And look. By the, I mean, honestly, if you had a chance to smell the cookies baking, by the time you get to the place to eat it, it's like you arrived. It's an interesting thing. I can tell you all about chocolate chip cookies, but the reason I can explain this so well is because all of you have smelled chocolate chip cookies cooking. Right now, you can almost smell them. You've all tasted them. And if you don't like chocolate chip cookies, that's your own sin to deal with. Okay? We ain't talking to you this morning. But all of you can imagine that smell, right? And you know this, too. You know that if nobody else in our house knew that chocolate chip cookies were being made, that once that smell started working its way up the steps, we'd have had four little kids, well, big kids, they keep growing, in the, right there around the table. Where are they? Now, we're just so mean. We bake them before dinner, and then they have to eat before they can eat them. They have to eat their dinner before they can have the cookies. In Eugene Peterson's book, Eat This Book, he doesn't... So he talks about studying God's Word and knowing God's Word and living God's Word. Interesting thing. Peterson doesn't begin with 2 Peter chapter 3. He doesn't, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. He doesn't run straight to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. All scriptures, um, or, or the one I just quoted a few minutes ago. Somebody will tell me in a minute that uh, it's living and active and sharper than your two-edged sword. He doesn't run straight to Psalm 119 for that longest psalm and chapter in all of the Bible, which is just filled with 22 stanzas. 22 verses extolling the beauties of God's Word. Eugene Peterson begins in the book of Revelation. It's an odd place to begin for us to talk about our appreciation for God's Word, isn't it? But he runs to Revelation chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. So I went to the angel and told him, this is the Apostle John speaking, told him to give me the little scroll, that is the word of God. And he said to me, take it 
and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. When I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Folks, we can become guilty of reading the Bible like any other book, but it isn't any other book. And it shouldn't be read like any other book. All of you needs all of God's Word. Every inch of you, every thought, every breath, every heartbeat. And the only way to get it into you is to do more than read it. This isn't the newspaper. It isn't Harry Potter. This is the living bread of life. You've got to consume it. You've got to eat it. You've got to savor it. You've got to enjoy it. You've got to allow it to pulse through your veins so that when you are cut, you bleed Bible. And when your mouth opens, the Word of God falls out. We've got to meditate upon it. We've got to act it out we got to live it. Because, folks, the understanding will come as you live it. We can read the parable of the Good Samaritan over and over and over again, but we don't really, we don't really understand neighbor love until we have loved a neighbor in need. And conversely, we don't really understand it as well as we could until we have been the neighbor in need to receive the love from another eat this book consume it allow it to run into you and over you but even as you do it may do the same thing to you that it did to john in your stomach it may become bitter it may unsettle you it may give you spiritual heartburn That's what the Word does. That's what it has to do. It doesn't unsettle you because it is poison. It unsettles you because you are filled with the poison of sin. It is cleansing you, sanctifying you, and the process will often be unenjoyable. Eat this book. We have a baby shower here at the church today. And uh, I'm sure, I don't... I, don't, I, I mean, I, I picked out the gift because I always do, but I don't remember what it was. Um, which is all a lie. I have no idea what we're going to give. But we often give books. Um, I, I, it, and and it undoubtedly, you know, for, for babies get little board books, right? And there's a reason you get the little board books, because babies are not easy on books. But there's, there's always, there's still a few in our house. We, we've gotten rid of a bunch of them, but we've kept some. And in our, in our new house, there's this little closet that's kind of like a little miniature library. We love it. It's got little shelves, and there's all these sh books, uh, catalog, catalog, that's a loose term. They're stacked in order. Um, that also is a loose term. The kids put them up there, so I actually have no idea what's going on. I just know there are books in that closet. But there are some board books in that closet. You know, there's little ones, like the little ABC or the little shape books. They're about the size that you can fit in your back pocket. So if you want to take your two-year-old deer hunting with you, you can put that in your back pocket and take him with you. Just saying, that's what I've heard. It's probably true. But you know, on most of those books, the corners are messed up. And the corners are messed up because after Angela or I would read to the, the book to, to the babies when our kids were little, they, you might give them the book to play with, or they might just toddle over and grab it. 
and they're teething, and they're drooling, and they're gross. That's true. That's okay. You can still love them. They're nasty. I mean, that's, that's part of the grace of God in loving children. They cost you everything. They're disgusting, and we still love them. Folks, that's un- unbelievable when you think about it. But you know those books, the corners are ruined. And the corners are ruined because those little teeth and varmints would take those books and they'd chew on them to try and make their gums feel better. And every once in a while, a creative parent will take the baby, we don't eat our books. Believer, listen to me, you'd better eat this book. Because you need the powerful Word of God coursing through every inch of your being. You better eat the stuff you don't like. Some of this is like a chocolate chip cookie. It's good. It's enjoyable. It's a quick hit. Some of it's like that, isn't it? We read some of the Psalms and we go, yes! Woo! Some of it's like Brussels sprouts which are also really good and good for you. And some of it's like some other stuff that just doesn't taste real good. Some of it's like cough medicine. You take it because you need it. But it's not always good going down, but you know what you need. It's changing you. It's transforming you. It's cleansing you. But folks, I want you to understand that it's cleansing you from the baked on sin of your life. We have a dishwasher we have for years. I love a dishwasher, but there's some things that just won't come off in a dishwasher. Those things that get baked on, you got to scrub. But you know what? Well, what you don't scrub, what you, you can't even do it with a sponge most of the time. You need one of those scouring pads or a Brillo pad. It's tough to get that mess off. Folks, some of your sin is as deep as a tattoo, and it's got to be scrubbed out. And it's not going to feel good, and yet God loves you enough to work patiently lovingly, carefully to cleanse you. Some of those things that he's cleansed you of are the wounds that are deep. The hurts, the pains that run deep and the Word of God will run way down into there and clean out all the nastiness, the infection, the gross, the junk. And it's not going to feel good, but as he cleanses you, you're made healthy and whole. So we got options. We can choose to only take the parts of this word that are comfortable or that are palatable or that are enjoyable. And when we do, we'll feel pretty good about it most of the time, but we will miss out on the great privilege of God doing the soul work, soul, S-O-U-L, soul work, to transform you and His church into a vessel worthy. Or we can take God at His Word. All of it. 
the parts that are fun, the parts that are hard, the parts that are enjoyable. These are God's words, and they are to be obeyed. They are to be trusted. They are to be consumed. And when possible, to be enjoyed. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you obey His word? Do you take all of it at face value or have you worked to weasel your way out of some of it? That's the big question this morning. Are you submitting to all of God's word? Unfortunately, in most churches and in most individuals, most of God's word is accepted and obeyed. But some parts of God's Word seem to be off limits. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to take down the no trespassing signs and submit not only to parts of God's Word? Would you submit to all of God's Word? It won't make you perfect, but it will make you healthy and whole as you find yourself surrendered to the will of your Savior. So this morning, would you come? Would you submit to all of God's Word? That's the invitation. Perhaps right there in your seat today, you need to sing out. And that song may be your commitment to the Lord that though you have run too long, that you're ready today to trust every inch of His Word that those parts that you've been resistant to, that you're willing today to trust it. Perhaps today you're finally willing to say, Lord God, I know that your word says I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, I've been too proud to admit it, but today, Lord God, today, I'm going to let mercy come in and change my life. Perhaps today needs to be the day that you finally come forward and say, Pastor Craig, I've lived this life for far too long pretending like I didn't need the church. And I'd like to know what it looks like to join Mountain Hill. Because the reality is that the church is God's creation for the good of man and the glory of God. Pastor Craig, how do I get into the next next steps? Because Pastor Craig, can you pray for me that I'd be willing to allow church to minister to me, I'd be willing to be a part of a church. Maybe today's the day you can, Lord God. As a parent, I've done it my way for far too long, but today's the day that no matter what happens, I'm going to trust in your word to show me how to raise my children. I don't know what the story is in your life, but whatever it is, can I tell you that the word of God is enough to speak into your stories bring hope and to bring healing so as we stand and we sing in just a moment let me pray for us and I'd ask you to respond Lord God in Jesus name I pray to you and I ask Lord God that you would give us a trust in your word help us to trust it even when it feels dangerous Lord God when it feels unsteady Lord God help us to trust it because Lord God our feelings can be wrong But the Word of God is solid.
Help us to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing, alone in our sorrow and dead in our sin. Lost without hope until Jesus came in. Let's sing. Alone in my 